Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Mankind makes mistakes. One of those mistakes is choosing to ignore God's presence and and who God is in our lives. Hello again and welcome to Crosswalk. Well, today we're continuing our series from the book of Daniel and this week Pastor Clay is taking us back to chapter 5 and the story of the handwriting on the wall. Last week Pastor Clay began to show us some of the mistakes that King Belshazzar made and how those mistakes are common to mankind. Choosing ignorance about God. That is a mistake that man, that mankind makes. Choosing ignorance about God. Whether you live in the United States of America where there's, you know, five Bibles in every house or whether you live in some remote corner of the world, God has made it so clear that He is and that He has creative powers and that He has created this universe in which we live that, as Paul says, that nobody has an excuse. Today we're going to hear about one more mistake that Belshazzar made and then Pastor Clay is going to show us a couple of truths about God that may help us avoid some of those mistakes that Belshazzar made. So we're glad that you've joined us today. Now here's Pastor Clay with today's message. You know, we're talking, if you were here last week, then you, you know where we are. But uh, we are talking about the handwriting on the wall. I want to tell you all uh, one time when I thought for sure the handwriting was on the wall in, uh, in my life and it was over. Now, uh, I, have, I have done this from time to time, uh, talked about some uh, particularly uh, period of time in my life that I'm not uh, particularly proud of, okay? Uh, I did not used to walk with Jesus. There was a time when I did not walk with Jesus and, uh, and some of my actions were not good, and I, I do not tell stories like this, although some of them are, looking back now, are humorous. Uh, I do not tell them to in any way glorify some of my actions. Uh, I, I, I'll just tell you right now, some of the decisions I made while under the influence of alcohol, I wish to God that I could go back and redo some of those decisions and, and make changes in, in my life. Uh, but by the grace of God, uh, God saved me and He's changed me. But one time I was hanging out with some of my friends uh, three of my friends uh, specifically, uh, Bob Rollerson, uh, Karen Williamson, and Tim Ernest. And we were, uh, the four of us, were across the street from Teen Town. Uh, Teen Town was uh, like a, a dance hall uh, for teenagers. Uh, you know, it was, I mean, it was, everybody's underage in there, and so there's no alcohol, no, no drinking, that sort of thing. Um, so it's not like a, necessarily a nightclub, but it was a nightclub for teenagers. And it was the happening place in Okeechobee on Friday night. And so uh, we were at, across the street from Teen Town, and, uh, and we, were, we, were, we were drinking. Uh, we, we had our beer out on the hood of the car, and, you know, we just, you know, we looked like a Miller High Life commercial or something, you know. And um, we're just talking, and blah, 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 whatever. And uh, suddenly, uh, all these headlights just flash in on us, you know, and two Two squad cars, two police cars just turn in simultaneously. They come flying up and turn in. Headlights like right on us, you know. And it's like, we're, we're all 16. We're all 16. In trouble now. <laughs> I mean, what are you going to, you know, what are you going to do? So the, the police officers get out of the car. And I, you just, I just knew, man, the handwriting is on the wall. I am a dead man for sure because my parents think I'm a perfect angel. And uh, that bubble is about to burst, and um, 
So they get, they get us all out the back of the car, and uh, uh, if I remember right, they've got our light, they've all got our, our licenses, and they're kind of looking at them, and they're looking, they're shining the flashlight, and only God could have done this timing, because um, it, was, it was just like this. They shine the flashlight up in Bob's face, and they said, uh, who are you? And uh, he says, uh, uh, Bob Rollerson. Bob Rollerson, uh, aren't you the uh, uh, grandson of uh, Mr. Rollerson, the county commissioner? And yes, yes, sir, I am. And then they shine the flashlight up in Karen's face. Who are you? Karen Williamson. Karen Williamson, aren't you Sonny Williamson's uh, daughter? Isn't he a school board commissioner? Uh, Yes, yes, sir, he is. And they shine the flashlight up in Tim's face and said, who are you? I'm Tim Ernest. Tim Ernest, Ernest, are are you Gans Ernest's son, the the principal of the high school? (laughs) Yes, sir. Yes, sir, I am. Who are you? Clay Stevens. Hmm. (laughs) Because my dad was just hard-working, you know, dairy farmer. I, he didn't run, have, hold any office or anything like that. But, but it, uh, you know, I, I, went, I was too stupid at the time to realize it. But they weren't going to do nothing. I mean, I'm standing beside a county commissioner's grandson, a school board commissioner's daughter, and the, the only high school principal's son sitting right there. So they're like, y'all need to get rid of that beer. And they drove off. That was it. <laughs> I thought for sure the handwriting was on the wall. But I got out of it. Belshazzar, this guy we started looking at last week in Daniel chapter 5. It's where we are. If you have your Bible, please turn there. Daniel chapter 5. Belshazzar did not get out of it. Literally, as we saw last week, the handwriting was on the wall. Now, I read the entire 31 verses last week of Daniel chapter 5. Uh, for time's sake, I'm not going to do that this week. I'm going to kind of give you a synopsis of the story, and then we'll look at a few verses as we go back through it. But we're picking up on something that we looked at last week from Daniel chapter 5. Uh, we're walking our way through this series uh, in the book of Daniel, Unshakable Faith, Unbreakable Promise. And we're seeing that throughout uh, this book. But in Daniel chapter 5, uh, Belshazzar is now the king. Nebuchadnezzar, who uh, was his grandfather, the text says father, I explained that last week, it's just a term that, that they used in that culture, was no longer king. He'd been the king for many years. Uh, he was now dead, and Belshazzar sat on the throne. And Belshazzar uh, made some mistakes. And that's what we began to look at uh, last week. He threw a party uh, for a thousand uh, of his nobles and Wives and concubines and whoever else got the invitation uh, to go to this uh, party. And at the party, he requested, after he had, as the text says, tasted the wine, uh, he requested that they get the, the cups, the, the goblets, the bowls, whatever all those were, uh, that were from the temple in Jerusalem that had been taken when Jerusalem was taken captive many years before, that he requested those cups, go get me those cups out of our treasury so that we can drink wine from those. And that was a big, big mistake. And we talked about last week why that was a mistake. I want to briefly review that and also the second mistake that we talked about and then look at a third mistake this morning and then the lessons that we need to learn. Y'all want to learn some lessons today? Y'all with me? You awake? I had somebody recently ask me, um, I don't remember where they were, what they, somehow they saw somebody at, like asleep or falling asleep, and they said, do you ever see uh, people fall asleep? I said, oh yeah. <laughs> I see it all the time. Y'all awake? Okay, if anybody's asleep beside, just, just nudge them. Uh, let's talk about some of the mistakes 
that Belshazzar made. We started last week looking at this one. And, and these are man's mistakes, and, that, and that's where we're going with this. It's not just a history lesson about Belshazzar. This is about our, our personal lives. Uh, so the first mistake, choosing ignorance about God. Belshazzar should have, and in fact did, know about God. But he chose to be ignorant about God. God. Maybe you remember uh, these verses. We looked at this uh, verse. It says, uh, there is a man in your kingdom. This is the queen uh, speaking to Belshazzar after the handwriting appears on the wall. There's a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy gods and in the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, your father, your father the king, appointed him chief of the magicians, conjurers, Chaldeans, and diviners. This was because an extraordinary spirit of knowledge and insight, interpretation of dreams, explanation of enigmas, and solving of difficult problems were found in this Daniel. As I mentioned last week, what is astounding about that statement is the very fact that the queen has to make it to Belshazzar, that a guy like that exists in his kingdom, a guy like that is at his disposal. Remember, we did the math last week. At this point, Daniel has been uh, a part of the, of the Babylonian Empire. He's been in service to the king for 66 years at this point. And it's astounding that the queen has to tell Belshazzar there's somebody in your kingdom like that. And then it says um, in verse uh, 13, I think it is, yeah. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you uh, that Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah whom my father the king brought from Judah? 66 years this guy has been around. Certainly all of Belshazzar's life. And then look what Daniel says to him uh, in verse 22. Yet you, his son... Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, watch this, even though you knew all this. It is, it is choosing, it is willful ignorance of God. And I, I mentioned last week that, that today uh, we can be guilty, certainly our culture can be guilty of the very same thing. Because there is no excuse, ladies and gentlemen, do you hear me? There is no excuse for being ignorant of God because Real quickly, it's already filled in, I think, in your outline. But one of the things we talked about is that we have, first and foremost, we have general revelation. We have the very creation itself that speaks of the, of the greatness and the grandness and the uh, design, uh, speaks of the designer in the complexity and the beauty and all the things that we have in creation. As I talked about last week, certainly there are those who, who would deny that and would choose not to believe. But Paul said in Romans 1, we won't look at that text again, but Paul said in Romans 1, they are without excuse because God has made them clearly seen. It's plain. It's as clear as the hand, literally in front of the hand in front of your face, that, that general revelation has revealed God. And so Paul says there in that Romans text, he says, so they are they, meaning any who deny God, they are without excuse. Second, uh, we said there is also special revelation, and that is the very Word of God. Uh, this, this special book, and I won't uh, go into all the things that I mentioned about it last week, but just, just to remind you folks, I had, was talking uh, with the Alexanders yesterday, we were sitting at the table and we were talking about this. Uh, it's an astounding thing, 66 different books written by more than 40 different authors over a time period of well over a thousand years, writing on dozens, if not hundreds, of different subjects, many of them very controversial, and yet with absolute symmetry, absolute 
uh, connectedness all the way through it. In fact, the more you get to know this book, the more you begin to discover from Genesis to Revelation, there's this one story that's flowing all the way through it. It's the story of the redemption of mankind. It's the story of God's love and his redeeming us and the price that he paid. That is, it is the handprint of God literally on the word of God. It simply cannot be explained. And I'll just say this to you and then we'll move on. Uh, if you are neglecting the special revelation of God in your life, you do so at your own peril. This is an incredibly valuable gift that we have. And so there is special revelation. And then last, uh, we said there is personal revelation. God does move. God does speak into people's hearts and lives. I don't know if it's audible for you. It's never been audible to me, but God has spoken to me, and I know it at times in my life. I'll say this again. There are some precautions. You do have to take some precautions when we begin to talk about personal revelation. Just because a person says, hey, God said this to me, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's true. Remember uh, the, the golden rule that I said about personal revelation? You always have to check it against the special revelation. I think the statement I made was no personal revelation from God will ever contradict or conflict with the special revelation from God, his word. So no matter what a person says, if what they're doing or what they're telling you conflicts with what God has already revealed in his special revelation, then you can be assured that that general revelation, I mean that personal revelation did not come from God. But the point of all of it is, ladies and gentlemen, God does speak. He does move. He does reveal himself to us. And people choose to be ignorant of God. And that is a huge mistake. Second mistake that we looked at last week that Belshazzar made was this. Flaunting arrogance before God. He not only ignored uh, or not only uh, chose not to know God or understand God. He flaunted his arrogance before God. And he did that in several ways. When we looked at those, uh, he overestimated his security. Uh, you, you remember, the, even while Belshazzar is throwing this party, the Medo-Persian armies are gathered around the city of Babylon. And yet, he is completely confident in, in his ability as king. He's completely confident in the, in the height and the, and the width and the strength of his walls. And he says, I'm just going to throw a party. It's arrogant. I got nothing to worry about. I'm going I'm to throw a party. It's extremely arrogant. Second, uh, Belshazzar trivialized God's sacrifice. Do you remember that? Hey, go get me those cups. Uh, the, the, they were in the temple in Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah, they were. They were the very cups that were part of the sacrificial system that was performed in the temple. And they pictured they were a type of the sacrifice that God would eventually make for us, ladies and gentlemen, that the Son of God would come in the flesh and die a horrible death for us. What went on in the temple for generations prior to that moment in time when Christ died on the cross, what went on there was a picture, a type of what God was going to do for us. And Belshazzar gets those cups and he's just going to use them as common drinking cups. And not only just common drinking cups, he's going to use them as just a part of his whole uh, hedonistic, carnal, fleshly, drunken party. Arrogance, such arrogance before the living God to trivialize God's sacrifice. And then the third uh, part of his arrogance that was the mistake that he made. Belshazzar denied God's supremacy. In the story... Uh, after they get the cups, he says, hey, hey, let's toast the gods of gold. Yeah, gods of gold. 
Hey, let's toast the gods of silver. Yeah, the gods of silver. On through the wood, uh, the stone, uh, all these different kinds of gods. Which is bad enough in itself, right? But never mentions, never even mentions the God in whom the very cups were made for. Here's how Daniel says it uh, in verse 23. He said, but you have exalted yourself. See the arrogance? Watch this. You have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. And they have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines have been drinking wine from them. And you've praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see, hear, or understand, but the God in whose hand are your life breath and all your ways you have not glorified. Unbelievable arrogance to deny the supremacy of God. Now, I, I touched on this briefly, and I, I promise you we're going to get to the lessons, uh, but we've got to get to one more mistake, but I want to touch on, on just the application of this for just a moment, uh, th- these, these mistakes that he made, because, ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, those same mistakes are repeated and can be repeated in our lives. Let's start uh, again with the, with the first one. Overestimating our security. That's what Belshazzar did, right? He overestimated his security. We can overestimate our own security, right? Listen, what we, we, if, you, if you're here and you're blessed and you, and you have employment, you have, a, you have a job, we have our health plans, we have our health, we have our 401ks, we have our houses to live in, we have our cards, we have our careers, we have all of these things that can end up being what we see as the sources for security in our lives. We work so hard for those things, and so we see those things as the source of security for our lives. But I'm telling you, in, in an instant, ladies and gentlemen, in the blink of an eye, it can all be gone. Do you understand? Ask the people in Boston how quickly their security can be done. And really not even just Boston, right? I don't think there's a person in America since that event that hasn't thought, that can happen right here. That can happen in Raleigh. That can happen in Atlanta. That can happen in Chicago. That can happen anywhere. And we get so secure in who we are. And what God wants us to do is come to this place where we recognize, hey, you know what? My security is in God. I've got to depend on him. By the way, I hadn't intended for this being my sermon, but I, I was thinking of it this morning. And so here it is. Uh, can I just say this to you? That is one of the reasons. That's probably the primary reason why tithing is such a big deal to God. Can I just say that financially speaking? Because it's, a, it's an opportunity to show that our security is in God and not in our paycheck, not in our career, not in what we earn, but that our security actually comes from God. It's easy to say we have security in Him. It's another thing to show. It's easy to overestimate our security. Here, here's another one uh, we talked about. Trivializing God's sacrifice, right? That's what He does. Get, get, get the gold, get the goblets, get the cups. We're going to drink from those things. Man, that unbelievably how He trivialized God's sacrifice. Can I tell you this? People trivialize God's sacrifice all the time. Now, I would say this. Even those who profess to be followers of Jesus, there are, there are individuals, there are churches, there are denominations, there are religious movements that would say, uh, yeah, Jesus died for your sins, but you've got to, you got to work, uh, you've got to earn this to, to, to stay saved. Yeah, he did that, but you've got to, you got to keep doing it. Listen, listen to me. My Bible tells me that with his last breath, Jesus uttered these words, it is finished. 
It actually was an Aramaic trading term. It was, it was written on or stamped on uh, any piece of property once that piece of property had been paid for. A debt was owed, and when the debt was paid off, this, this phrase was written on, and it literally meant it's paid in full. There was, the debt was canceled because the debt had been paid. Don't ever let anybody tell you that you have to, you have to work or serve or give in order to earn your salvation. Please don't let people tell you that. We work and serve and give in gratitude of our salvation, as evidence of our salvation, but not to earn our salvation. And when people tell you that somehow you're playing a part in your salvation by working or, or keeping those good work going or by giving enough money or whatever, when people tell you that, I'm telling you they are trivializing the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And none of us has a right to do that. So... They, but I'm going to tell you this. I think people also trivialize the sacrifice of Christ, God's sacrifice for us, when they begin to emphasize the idea that, that well, Christ died to, uh, to set us free from, from all the stuff of this world. He, he, he died so that, we could, so that we could enjoy this life, so that we could have health and, and wealth, and so that we could have uh, prosperity. And yet my Bible tells me that Jesus died for me, so that I could live for him. My Bible tells me that because he sacrificed his life for me, I can be a living sacrifice for him. Christians should be the, uh, should be the happiest people in the world. Christians should, should enjoy life the most of anybody. But not because we have a bunch materially, but because we have everything spiritually. And, and, and when we look at it differently than that, we're trivializing God's sacrifice. And I'll say one more, too, and then I'll move on. I think that we trivialize God's sacrifice when we make light of sin in our own lives or, or in our culture, when we, when we begin to embrace it or accept a sin in our lives, where we begin to excuse it away. Because, ladies and gentlemen, listen, this is, you might want to write this down. Jesus didn't die just to set us free from the penalty of sin. Praise God he did. But he didn't die just to set us free from the penalty of sin. Jesus died to set us free from the power of sin as well. So that sin no longer has to reign in my mortal body. So that I actually can live in his righteousness. And I, and I don't have to be, I don't have to succumb to the temptation that sin is in my life. So it's easy for us to make that same mistake that Belshazzar made. Trivializing God's sacrifice, denying God's supremacy. That was the other one that Belshazzar made, right? Now listen, it's easy to see. Okay, atheists, all right? Let's pick on them for a while. They're not here. <laughs> that was good. I like it. I wish they were here. We need to invite them and they, they, they come. Uh, but what, what is, you know, it's easy to see how they uh, deny God's supremacy. There is no God. The general revelation, it, you know, that doesn't really show us about God. That basically an atheist says that nature itself is its own designer. Because almost all atheists embrace um, an evolutionary model. An evolutionary model as they understand it. Um, uh, it nature itself becomes its own designer. So nature itself becomes supreme. Nature and man, who is the, in, in their mind the, end, the ultimate of nature. 
So the atheists, oh man, it's easy to see how they deny the supremacy of God. How about people that worship other gods? Uh, Buddhism and, and Hinduism and Mohammedism and, and Judaism and uh, ancestralism and, and, and a hundred other isms that deny the supremacy of God because they worship other gods. Now listen, I'm fully aware that that's not a politically correct statement to make in the, in the day and age in which we live. But I have come to understand in my life, as short as it has been so far, I've come to understand that it's much more important, ladies and gentlemen, it's much more important to be theologically correct than it is to be correct in man's eyes, than to be politically correct. Not being politically correct may, may come at a cost in, in the culture and world in which we live. And there truly, I, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't say this uh, lightheartedly, there may, truly may come a day when, when one of y'all going to have to bail me out of jail uh, when they pass laws that say that you cannot stand and proclaim that, that there's only one way to heaven or only one God that's the real God. There may truly come in our lifetime a, a time when one of y'all going to have to bail me out and I'll find out who y'all really love me uh, in, that, in that moment. But it's denying God's friend. It's easy to see the atheist. Easy to see the guy that worshiped the other gods. But what about us? Do we? Can we be guilty of denying the supremacy of God in our lives? How about, uh, how about when we worry? Anybody in here? I, I, y'all probably never worry about anything. But how about when we worry? When we get anxious over what's going to happen or how this is going to turn out or whether the bills are going to get paid or... What about, are, are we in that moment, I'm just asking, are we in that moment, are we denying God's supremacy in our lives? Are, are we, in essence, saying God's not supreme, he's not over everything because this bill is coming due and I, I don't know how it's going to get paid? You know what I'm saying? I, I'm just asking. I'm just asking. What about when we, uh, what about when we, when we refuse to, to forgive someone? They've wronged us about something what about, you understand what I'm saying? Do we deny in that moment the supremacy of God? What about when we make decisions on our own? When we make choices based on what we think is best or what we want without any thought about what God has said or what God wants? Are we denying in that moment God's supremacy over our lives? Let me give you just real quickly. Let me give you just a, a practical example, all right? Um, marriage. How about that? Y'all love that one, right? You love when I pick on that one? Husbands. Do we love our wives as Christ loved the church? I'm quoting from Ephesians 5. Do we love our wives as Christ loved the church? And do we give ourselves up for her? In other words, do we put her needs ahead of our own? Do we seek her good always at the expense of our own good? If we don't, we are denying God's supremacy in our lives. Wives... Do you love your husbands? As Scripture says, do you honor and respect your husbands? Wives, do you honor and respect your husbands? Oh, and by the way, in case you're sitting out there thinking, as soon as he does something that I respect, I will respect him. Should perchance you be thinking that, you better go back to the Word of God. Because his deserving respect, his deserving honor has absolutely nothing to do with it. You are commanded. And if you, if you reject that commandment in your life, you are denying the supremacy of God in your life. 
Now listen, I know I've got to move on, uh, but I'm not talking about, you know, the occasional bad day when we don't get it right, right? Do we all have that? Do we all have that? Do we all have that? Okay, I'm the only hand raised here. I'm getting a little nervous. We all have those occasional days when we do not get it right. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is when there is this this continual, uh, willful pattern in my life that this is my practice. I am not going to respect him. I'm not going to put her needs ahead of mine. I'm not that sort of thing. That's what I'm talking about. When we do that, and that's, I know that's just one area, but that's the question, denying God's supremacy in my life. It's arrogant. It's arrogant. Okay, let's get to the uh, third mistake uh, that man makes, ignoring the omniscience of God. There's a blank you'll finally get to fill in if y'all like to. Ignoring the omniscience of God. Belshazzar, it's clear that Belshazzar didn't give another thought to, uh, to what God might want or what God might think about what he was doing when he's throwing this party and asking for the gold cups to be brought in. Belshazzar made a critical mistake. He forgot, he, he ignored, he didn't really forget, he ignored the fact that God is omniscient, that God sees everything, ladies and gentlemen. God sees everything. Look at uh, what the verse says about his reaction, verse 6, yeah. Then the king's face, when he sees the hand, when he see the, sees the hand of God, uh, then the king's face grew pale and his thoughts alarmed him and his hip joints went slack and his knees began knocking together. Modern translation, it scared the pajibis out of that guy. And well, it should have, and well, it would have to any of us in this room. I don't think that Belshazzar was a coward. I think Belshazzar was a fool. Because the hand of God caused him to literally shake in his boots. But ladies and gentlemen, it was the eyes of God that Belshazzar should have been concerned with. It was the fact that God sees all, ladies and gentlemen. Look at these uh, verses, just to remind you. Second uh, Chronicles 16, 9. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. The eyes of the Lord are moving. They're seeing. And everything that that means, God is seeing. Look at this one in uh, Proverbs five twenty one. For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. Oh, by the way, uh, it's women too. Uh, just The text is just saying... Proverbs 15, 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil and the good. There is nothing that escapes the omniscient eye, the knowledge of God. He sees it. There is, uh, there is a, a Latin phrase uh, that you have probably heard of before. It's, it's, it's been very popular in our culture for quite some time. It, it's it's uh, on people's office walls and it's on T-shirts and it's in our books that we read. You've probably seen it. Carpe diem. What does it mean? Seize the moment. Most of you even already know what it means and you don't even speak Latin, probably. Seize the moment. The idea is, is that, man, uh, life is short and, and you, you, you just need to go for the gusto. You need to live your life to its fullest. You need to enjoy every moment of it. You ought, to, you ought to make the most of it. Don't waste. Don't squander those minutes of your life, those days, those years. Don't squander them. Make the most. Seize the moment. Seize the opportunities of your life. Now, as a follower of Jesus Christ, that's not bad counsel for us, is it? 
That we need to carpe diem. We need to seize the day. We need to make the most of the opportunities that we have. It's a very biblical idea of making the most of our lives. To the glory of God. To, to live life to its fullest. To enjoy our lives, yes. To live it to the glory of God. To live it in a way that glorifies God. And to take every, each and every opportunity that comes in each and every moment of our lives. And, and use them to the best of our ability, to the glory of God. Carpe diem, seize the moment. That's not a bad idea. But there is another Latin phrase that I personally believe we would even be much better off if we followed it. Now, it's not, it's not famous. Uh, I would dare say no one in this room knows this phrase. It's not in any uh, books. It doesn't hang on anybody's office uh, walls. And to the best of my knowledge, I'm fairly certain that this is the only t-shirt in existence in the world that has this phrase upon it. Deus vide diebus nostris. Ladies and gentlemen, God sees our days. See that? See that whole play on words thing? Y'all, y'all like it? Seize the day, yeah, great, awesome. How about this one? How about the reality that God sees our days? He sees, now think about this. That's a huge mistake that Belshazzar made, but it's a huge mistake that we make as well when we forget that fact. I'm pretty sure if if, if that one moment, that one statement, if we lived with that reality in our lives, if we lived with Deus vide, diebus nostris, God sees our days. Oh, God sees our days. You know what would happen? Our conversations with our our spouses would get a lot better if we knew God was watching and listening. I mean, I know we know that. I know we know it intellectually. We know it theologically. But I'm afraid oftentimes we don't know it personally. We don't don't live in that reality. You know know what I'm saying? Tell me you know what I'm saying. (laughs) Thank you. That wasn't very convincing, but it's all right. I'll bet our road rage would get under control pretty quick if we're like, oh, God, right? Yeah, sorry. Uh, it's, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Things would change if we just lived in that, with that idea in mind. God, God, I don't, I don't want to do this in front of you. Help me to remember what I'm doing. It's a mistake when we forget that God sees. That's all I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen. It's a mistake when we forget that God sees you. He sees me. He sees our actions and our lives. Okay, got to move on real quickly because we're about to run out of time and I haven't even got to the lessons yet. Man's lessons. Here's the first one. God is a jealous God. Belshazzar is toasting the gods of wood and stone and bronze and silver and, you know, he's toasting all of these gods, right? But the truth is, even before then, uh, Belshazzar really had set himself up as his own god. He, he, he's the one that made the decisions to do it. He's the one that trusted in his son's security. I don't got to worry about that Persian army out there. I don't got to worry about doing things the way Nebuchadnezzar did when he came to honor God. I don't got to do all that stuff. Belshazzar basically set himself up as his own God. And ladies and gentlemen, this, this is the truth now. Y'all, some of this is going to be hard for y'all to hear. But God does not share his throne. God does not share his authority. God does not share his glory. And he is a jealous God. Now, that may sound, you know, hard to our ears. Oh, because we, I think we tend to think that jealousy is only a bad thing. But it's not. Probably all, almost all of us have attended some wedding at some point where we've heard 1 Corinthians 13 read. And we've probably seen uh, these words. Love is patient. Love is kind. And is not what? Love is not jealous. And so we say, see there? Love is not jealous, and God loves us, so God must not be jealous. No, 
that verse is talking about not being jealous of the ones you love. In in other words, uh, my love for a person causes me to to want the best for them. And and if they get more than I do or if they do better than I do, I'm happy for them. I'm not jealous of them because I love them. I I, I care about them. And I'm just, I know I'm bragging, but it's, 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 that's how, that's that's Cindy. That's my wife. Our our kids' whole life growing up, my life growing up, (laughs) because she had to grow me up too. It's a, it's a, it's, it, was just, it was the same thing. I'm telling you, if there, was, if there was one roll left, if there was one piece of pie left, if there wasn't enough money to make sure that everybody got the Christmas present that they wanted, she always made sure that we had, that I had, before she had, even if she had to go without. That's because she, was, she wasn't jealous of us. It was her love. No, no, we should not be jealous of the ones we love. But ladies and gentlemen, we sure better be jealous for the ones we love. Because God is. He is jealous for you. Is that an astounding statement? God is jealous for you. You want to see some evidence? Look at this. Exodus 20, verse 5. You shall not worship them or serve them. Talking about false God, whatever takes priority in your life. For I, the Lord your God, am a, say it, say it, jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generation to those who hate me. I know that can probably stir up all kinds of thoughts about that. Don't have time to deal with it except to say that God... It's, it's not what you think it is. It's, it's the rebellion that is a consequence of people's decisions that then carry on for generations to generations. God is always forgiving to those who are repentant. All right, that's, that's a principle of, of Scripture. But the point is, he's a jealous God. Look at this one. Uh, Exodus uh, chapter 34, verse 14, and Deuteronomy 5, 9. For you shall not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Did you know that? One of God's name is jealous. All right, how about this one? Deuteronomy 4.24. Y'all don't seem very impressed yet. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a what? Say it. Jealous God. How about this one? Deuteronomy 32.16. They made him jealous with strange gods, with abominations. They provoked him to anger. How about this one? Deuteronomy 32.21. They have made me jealous with what is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. How about this one? We're on a roll. Nahum 1.2. A jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. How about one more? Look at Zechariah 1.14. So the angel who was speaking with me said to me, proclaim, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, for his people. God is a jealous God. But not in, a, not in a sinful way, not in a bad way, but in a righteous way. It is, please understand, ladies and gentlemen, it is his love for us that makes him jealous for us. I, I really don't have time to tell you a story uh, connected to that, but I, I just, I'll just say this. You need to think about it. We need to think about our lives in areas that perhaps where jealousy comes and affects our lives. And here's what you need to do. Let me give you four, four steps here real quick uh, having to do with this. Number one, recognize that idols can take God's rightful place in my life. It can happen faster than you think. Now, it, it might be, I don't know, you, you, it might be a hobby. It might be your children. It might be your job, your spouse. But that thing that takes priority over God in your life, you need to recognize it. Second, you need to repent of it. Repent over the idols of my life. Do you know what repent means? It means to turn around and go in another direction. It means to be able to say, God, I am so sorry that I've let this happen in my life. I, I didn't intend to, but, but this, this thing has, has really become more important to me than you are. I, don't, I know we don't like to admit that, but I would dare say there's not a person in this room that's not been guilty of that at times. 
Third, we need to remove the idols from my life. Now, remove them from the place where they shouldn't be, okay? If, you may, if you've made your children your idol, and that can happen. I'm telling you, I mean, we love them, and, and we're commanded in Scripture to, to care for them, and, you know, all that's scriptural. But I'm saying when they begin to take the, the place that, that God has intended for him in this right relationship with us and him, to remove them, I don't mean kick them out of the house. Get out of here, you little idol. No, what I'm saying is we need to put them in, in the place where they belong um, as far as the, the structure that God put in place for our relationship with him first, our relationship with our spouse second, and our relationship with our children to follow. And then and the other things that come. So remove the idol. I just got to be honest and say, you know what? I, I got to do something about this. And, and then fourth, restore God's rightful place to your life. Say, God, I, I, I don't know how this happened. I've, I've drifted from you. I, I've let this happen. I've let this come in. God, would you be Lord of my life? Because I know that you are jealous for me because you love me. You understand? That's why he's jealous. He loves us and wants only the best for us. And I don't know everything, but this I know. The farther we get from God, and that's what happens when we let other things take priority or become gods in our lives. The farther they take us away from God. The farther we get from God, the worse our life is. Period. And you don't have to believe me if you're sitting out there and you're 16 and you're, and you're saying, I don't believe that. Okay, you will. I didn't believe it when I was 16. I was in a Miller High Life commercial. What did I know? Restore God's rightful place to your life. Okay, um, that's, that's a lesson that we have, to, we have to learn. God is jealous for us. He wants the best for us, and he will not allow substitutes to come into our lives without dealing with us, which brings us to the last, uh, the, the, the last lesson, and then we'll, we'll close. Um, man's lessons. God is a just God. He is a jealous God, and he is a just God. Listen, can I say this to you? Belshazzar got exactly what Belshazzar deserved. And can I say this in, in a very real sense? Belshazzar got exactly what Belshazzar asked for. I was reading uh, uh, last night, as a matter of fact, a story, uh, and it took place a number of years ago, but there were these two brothers who were farmers, and um, they went uh, together to a neighbor's house to borrow the neighbor's plow because it had been raining a lot, and they were behind on their plowing and planting, and they wanted to use another plow so they could get caught up. They went and borrowed the plow, and on their way back, they had a team of horses and all this stuff. On their way back, uh, it began to rain again, and one of the brothers who... Uh, I don't know if he's an atheist or not, but he, he apparently never had much to do with God, didn't care about God, apparently didn't like God very much because he just began to curse uh, God for the rain coming again and, the, you know, they weren't going to get their crops in. This was, you know, how are we going to survive and all this kind of stuff. So he just begins to curse uh, the sky and the rain and, and, and all this happening and all this kind of stuff. And his brother says to him, you've you got to stop, stop that. Stop cursing like that. We're going to get struck by lightning. Well, that made the atheist even angrier or whoever, whatever he was. And he just began to just, I mean, just according to his brother, just lay God out. And this is the statement he made. I don't give a blankety blank blank about any of this blankety blank blank. I'm paraphrasing. God, God can just strike me with lightning if he don't like it. Pow. Killed him on the spot. Killed him on the spot. So the story I read, I just read it last night. Killed him on the spot. Knocked his brother out, knocked the horses to the ground, but they were all okay. Killed him on the spot. I'm I'm just telling you, God is a just God, and he is jealous, and he he just, he's just just. I was was reading a a story about uh, an event that took place in 2008 in China. Um, This guy, I'm not even going to try and pronounce their names, but this guy went over to see this other guy that owed him money. He had borrowed the equivalent of about $70 uh, U.S. three years earlier from the guy, uh, 
for his wedding. He wanted to buy a wedding present or to pay for the wedding or something like that. So he borrowed 70 bucks from the guy and uh, said, I'll pay you back. Well, three years later, he hadn't paid a dime back. The, the, I don't know why it took three years, but the guy got mad enough that he went over to his house and demanded that he pay him his money. And the guy said, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Uh, I don't owe you any money. Uh, you just, just give me any proof that I, that I even borrowed any money from you. Because yeah, apparently nothing in writing or anything else like that. And they're arguing, they're fighting and all this kind of stuff. And so finally the guy that has owed the money said, if you will swear to God that you didn't borrow any money from me and that you don't owe me any money, I'll drop it. I'll let it go. And, the, and the, I read several accounts of this that were in the news. I read several accounts of this last, last night. And it said, the guy lifted his hands up to the air and he said, if I owe this guy any money, if I borrowed any money from him, God can just strike me with lightning. The, the news article said uh, in less than a minute he was struck by lightning. Incidentally, the guy, this guy, he did not die. He lived. None of the uh, news sources seemed to know whether that motivated him to pay the debt back or not. <laughs> I would think it would, but I, I'm just saying sometimes people get exactly what they ask for. And, and if, if you are going to deny God, if you're going to try and put him out of your life, you need to understand that God is a just God, and here's what we see. God's justice is swift. Now, God is a very patient God, right? Is is there a person in this room that would not say that? I can think of so many instances in my life where God could have, should have, struck me dead on the spot. God is a patient God. I'm not saying it's not. I think Scripture is very clear about that. But I will say this. When God's justice moves, God's justice moves. God is swift in His justice. And the second idea God's justice is sure. It it is coming, ladies and gentlemen. You cannot mock God. You cannot deny God. You cannot uh, try and live your life without God without knowing that that God's justice is coming at some point in your life. Not because he hates you, but because he loves you and because he wants to bring you to recognition that he is God, that he has your best in mind, and that you must acknowledge him as God. Put him in that place. Belshazzar's mistakes were huge. And if we're not careful, we can make the same mistakes. So we need to learn those lessons. God is a jealous God. He's jealous for us. Not of us. He's jealous for us. Because he loves us. And God is a just God. The scales are always balanced. His will is always accomplished. And even to the final, to the final end... You can go back and listen to our series in the book of Revelation where we spent a year looking at this. His ultimate justice will come upon this earth when he returns and establishes his kingdom and rules and reigns and sin and Satan and all that goes with that will be put down once and for all and forever. Thanks, Pastor, for reminding us that our God is both a jealous God and a just God. As Pastor Clay explained today, both God's jealousy and His justice are based on His holiness. Belshazzar didn't want to acknowledge the greatness of God. He trusted in himself and gave credit to false idols for all that he had. God's message to Belshazzar terrified him, and so it should to anyone that tries to take what rightfully belongs to God. We're glad you spent some time with us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. 
Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.